Welcome to Credo with me, Father Andrew Eburn, to the podcast journeying through the different articles of the Creed, the fundamental statement of our Catholic faith. In the last few weeks, we have been looking at those parts of the Creed which deal with the Incarnation, with the incarnate life on earth of Jesus Christ. And this week, we come to the climax of that life, to the crucifixion. And this is the article of the Creed. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. The crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Well, I'm going to approach uh, this topic, let's say, somewhat obliquely, from what might seem an odd angle, but I'll just ask you to bear with me. We will get to the point. In the 1970s, there was a cult radio series, which became a cult TV series, then a cult novel, then a film called The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And the plot of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy revolved around a quest to answer the ultimate question. The ultimate question of life, the universe, and everything. And eventually it turns out that the answer to the ultimate question is 42. The answer is always 42. Now, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy was written by an atheist, so perhaps that answer is not surprising. For Christians, however, the answer to the ultimate question is always love. Why was the world created? Love. What is the meaning of life? Love. What is the reason for my existence? Love. And so on and so forth. But of course, and let's take this one step further, of course, for Christians, love is ultimately a person, the person of Jesus Christ. And it is our encounter with a person, not with a philosophy or an ideology or a way of doing things, our encounter with a person that transforms our lives and that indeed unites us with the source of all love, which is God himself. The encounter with the person of Jesus Christ. And so we can say that the person of Jesus Christ is also, in a way, the answer to all our questions. We just look to him and we follow that advice given by his mother to the servants at the wedding at Cana when she says to them, do whatever he tells you. That's all we need to do. What clarifies our existence and the choices we need to make is not ultimately a philosophy or an ideology or some wizzo system of alternate paths and possibilities. It is a person. This is something we touched on last week, by the way, when I mentioned Pope St. John Paul II's encyclical Veritatis Splendor, the splendor of truth, which says that the answer to our questions, to all our questions, is given by Jesus Christ, or rather is Jesus Christ himself. The answer to all our questions is Jesus Christ himself. So if we then come back to the creed, and we come back to this article, for our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate, and if we consider what fundamental question this article might reflect upon? Well, it is, of course, 
the question of suffering. This question we will all face at some point, either for ourselves or on behalf of other people. Why do we suffer? Why is there suffering in the world? And it's not an abstract question. It's not what we might call a theoretical inquiry. Like, for instance, why was the world created? Or what is the meaning of life? It is a question that touches many people's lives in a profound and deeply personal way. We will all know of someone, for example, whose life has been blighted or even cut short by pain and illness. Pain and illness which is utterly undeserved, we might say. And so not only are there no easy answers, but the very attempt to offer an answer, any answer, is fraught with difficulty and delicacy. Any glib, superficial answer risks being in itself a mockery of the reality of others' suffering. So there are good theological arguments for how we approach the question of suffering. There is what we call redemptive suffering and devotional traditions such as the idea of offering it up, offering up our suffering. All of these are good and an important part of the church's tradition. However, the first answer to the question of suffering is, in fact, as it is for so many difficult questions, the first answer is the person of Jesus Christ. The first answer is what we see with our own eyes whenever we go into a Catholic church. What we see above the altar in every Catholic church, what should be upon the altar every time Mass is celebrated, and that is, of course, the crucifix. We believe in a God who suffers. We believe in a God of whom the most recognisable image is of a man being brutally tortured to death. The image, we might add, of a good and innocent man being brutally tortured to death, who has done nothing to deserve this pain, this helplessness, this humiliation. So we don't, as Christians, take suffering lightly. We don't dismiss it or sidestep it or gloss over it. We take it very seriously not least because suffering is what marks, what characterises the climactic days and hours of the life of Jesus Christ. Our God is a God who suffers, who suffers in the person of Jesus Christ. And as Christians we believe in a God who has chosen to share our suffering, who has chosen, who has taken the risk of entering our lives in order to share them, in order to share our lives and to share our suffering, and indeed, of course, to die for us in pain on the cross. And so you could say, and again one doesn't say this lightly, but you could say, when it comes to suffering, God does not ask us to experience anything he has not also experienced himself. So it's not as if he sat comfortably in heaven in some celestial armchair saying, Oh gosh, I win pain. I'm so sorry. That must be terrible for you. What a shame. And then getting back to his pipe and his crossword and heaven's version of daytime telly. Of course not. God in the incarnation, in the person of Jesus Christ, and above all in the crucifixion, intimately shares our lives, including our 
pain. He knows what it's like. And we should also add at the risk of saying the obvious, we should add that Jesus suffers without deserving to in any shape or form. And I guess it's important to say this in the light of the common secular response to suffering, which often focuses on the idea of suffering being undeserved. So this is, if you like, the special outrage of suffering, the indecency of suffering in the secular worldview, that he or she has done nothing to deserve this. Now this, of course, is also true of Jesus on the cross. And if you remember the account of the Passion in the Gospels, the two men crucified alongside Jesus, one mocks him, but the other defends Jesus, saying, We are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. This man has done nothing wrong. And yet what happens at the crucifixion is key. What is accomplished through the crucifixion? This is one of the most powerful paradoxes of our faith, because the moment when Christ is helpless and in torments upon the cross, literally helpless, unable to move, and apparently utterly disempowered, that moment of suffering and disempowerment is also the moment when he saves the world, when he saves the world and everyone who has ever lived in it. So what Jesus accomplishes so to speak, is intimately bound up with what he suffers. Christ's suffering is redemptive. This is what theologians mean by redemptive suffering. Christ's suffering redeems the world and, as I say, everyone who has ever lived in it. This is something Pope St. John Paul II again talks about in his apostolic letter, Salvici Dolores, which literally means salvific suffering or the power of suffering to save. The cross, the crucifixion of Christ, shows that suffering has a salvific power, a power to save. And it is a power that we ourselves can share in. As the Pope says, Christ has raised human suffering to the level of the redemption. Thus, each man or woman in his or her suffering can also become a sharer in the redemptive suffering of Christ. We can share in his suffering. Jesus invites us to share in his passion. He says, take up your cross and then come follow me. So this now is the foundation to that traditional Catholic idea of offering up suffering. Offering up your suffering, which you can see, for example, in the beautiful little morning offering prayer that Catholics used to be encouraged to pray at the start of the day. That prayer which begins like this, O Jesus, through the Immaculate Heart of Mary, I offer you my prayers, works, joys and sufferings of this day for all the intentions of your Sacred Heart in union with the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass throughout the world. Offering up my suffering means recognising that God in his love can make use of it. So when we are in a difficult or painful or uncomfortable situation, we might say, Lord, I do not like this situation, but I offer it up to you for the sake of, I don't know, let's say my family. Or if we are 
ill or in pain, we might say, Take my pain, Lord. I offer it to you to work some miracle with it for someone somewhere. I trust that you can use my pain for good. Or whatever I am suffering, if it is just some privation or some serious inconvenience inflicted upon me, I can make a decision that I am literally going to grin and bear it as best I can and say, Lord, I offer this sacrifice to you for this person who is in need of your grace. And that is uniting my sacrifice with the redemptive, saving sacrifice of Christ on the cross. And it all goes to show to us that deep division between atheism and Christianity, between the atheist view of existence and the Christian view of existence. For the atheist, like just about every other important issue in life, suffering is essentially meaningless. Suffering for the atheist is random, meaningless and pointless. For the Christian, suffering can have a meaning, and our appreciation of this, our recognition of that meaning, is part and parcel of how we cope with and endure suffering. For the Christian, suffering can have a meaning and in some ways a value in the eyes of God. So for sure we do not have to like suffering. Jesus, after all, is quite clear that he does not want to be crucified. We do not have to like suffering, and we certainly do not have to rejoice in suffering. But we recognise, above all from the crucifixion, that suffering can be transformed by love, and indeed only by love, ultimately by the love of God in Jesus Christ. We believe in a God who enters into our world to share our suffering and to take that suffering upon himself for love of us. And so, as the prophet Isaiah says, of the suffering servant, the prophecy of Christ himself, he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. Thank you so much for joining me this week, and do join me again next week for the next episode and the next article of the Creed. May God bless you all, and may he specially bless that journey of discovery we make together into the beauties of the Catholic faith. Amen.